guys, welcome to the brand new podcast, Young and in Love, Young and in Love. The Young and in Love. This is the podcast, Young and in Love. Hello, young lovers, and welcome to another episode of Young and in Love. Young, uh, young, young and in Love. love. Uh, again, I'm Josh. And I'm Taylor. We're, We're the, the Andersons. Andersons. And this is Young and in Love. Young and in Love. Young and in Love. Young and in Love. <laughs> this is Young and in Love. Welcome to another episode of Young and in Love. I'm Josh. And I'm Taylor. We're the Andersons. And today we have many a question from all of you. Some friends, some family, I presume. I only received one non-anonymous message. Did you receive any non-anonymous messages? No. Only anonymous. Yeah. So I just want to... I think we're just going to jump right in, right? No, we can do that. No need for introductions. No crazy life updates. Um, And I'm just going to start out with the one that's uh, not anonymous. Oh. So that we can shout her out. Because I told her that we would. And she's a really good friend. So, uh, coincidentally, her name is also Charlotte. Not who we named our daughter after, but um, wouldn't be mad to say that we did. I was going to say, who did we name our daughter after? That's true. It's just sort of a random pick, right? Well, Charlie is definitely. Yeah, Charlie. Pick, but maybe one day she'll also go by Charlotte. So, Charlotte is a fellow classmate of mine from when I was in a master's program at the Boston Architectural College. And she says, miss you guys, love listening to the podcast. How do you handle arguments and in-laws? Especially, maybe any advice on in-laws that are a bit too intrusive with the little (laughs) monkey eyes emoji. So So that two questions, like how do we handle arguments, period? Or like how do we handle arguments with our in-laws and like how do we also handle... I think I think it could be both. Like, how do we handle our arguments? And then how do we handle the arguments that we have with our in-laws? And then the third part to that would be any advice on in-laws that are a bit too intrusive. Okay. I mean, we don't, like... I wouldn't consider us to, like, ever really argue. Uh, yeah, we do. I mean, we, like, bicker, like, here and there. Yeah. But we don't actually, like... I don't... I feel like... It's sort of rare for us to get into, like, a full-blown argument over something. You disagree? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we never yell at each other. No. So that's, like, that's number one. Is like, you have to have enough respect for one another that you don't raise your voice. Well, that you don't yell at one another. Because I, I say that all the time. Like, I don't yell at you, but I definitely raise my voice. You definitely raise your voice. <laughs> but that's mainly when she's not listening that like i have to get her attention and like snap her out of her like spiral um you have to understand like how uh how each other argue so like i know that taylor will um 
all she she doesn't listen very well like during arguments so she'll get in her own head trying to justify like her point of view or like her position um and she's not listening to like me explain why i'm upset yeah um so that's like number one because not because so you don't want to know that so that you can manipulate them you want to know that so that you can change your mode of communication so that they hear you and like they listen to you because that's what you can control so that's i think what's number two for me is like understand what you can control and then what you can't control yeah. so if your partner isn't listening to you that's not something that you can control that's something that you have to like say hey you're not you're not listening to me like you need to stop thinking stop talking and just like listen to why i'm upset yeah i was gonna say i think we're also most of the time pretty good uh, at like addressing things early on before they turn into like that big of a deal you know like yeah. um we don't let things just sort of fester like if we like at least for me, normally, if, like, I can tell that, like, we're off, like, we're, like, no longer, like, vibing. Yeah. Then I try to address that pretty quickly. Or yep. else things only get worse. And then I think it has the potential to be a bigger problem. Yeah, and I, I think what helps that is that we've both made, like, a commitment to one another. And we both have the understanding that, like, no argument is worth having if it's going to be destructive right so we've both uh given up on the idea of being right if it comes at the detriment of our relationship mm -hmm. so holding our relationship as um like above everything else um and if that means that we just don't win an argument because it's not worth hurting one another, then we just let it go. Yeah. And so sometimes like that can look at like, okay, well, I like to do things this way and you like to do things that way, but neither one of us are willing to compromise now. Yeah. So now it's just like, okay, well I'll do it my way. And then when you do it, you'll do it your way. And that's just okay because it's not worth the argument. Right, and that's that's for like menial things. Yeah, very small things. Like doing the dishes or putting laundry away. Yeah, that's or, like yeah. Two examples from our life. Obviously, if it's something more significant and more important, um, like needs and necessities that you have, um, just put it aside for now. But like, know, have the understanding that you're putting it aside for now. And then you continue to think about it and to mill it over in your own mind. And then you come back together after you've had time to cool down and take a breather or go for a run or whatever you do to relieve right. stress. So then uh, you're just in a better headspace. You're less emotional or less passionate um, about your position. You'll be a little bit more understanding. Um, a good phrase to always remember is to seek first to understand, then be understood. It's like the key to humility and open-mindedness. So try and understand exactly not only why 
or how your partner is feeling, but why they're feeling that way, what's led them to feel that way. Um, try and put yourself in their metaphorical shoes so you can sort of understand that. We had a a breakthrough, I think, recently on one of our continued continued arguments where what day was it it was it was like a weird day i think because we both got home from work pretty early or maybe not early but not late and then you were helping me do stuff like immediately and then i was like oh wow this is so nice <laughs> like like you're just doing stuff like i don't have to tell you what to do and then like you said something and then I told you, I was like, oh, like, it's really nice for me, like, when you can just, like, see what needs done and then do it. Because, like, me telling you what I need to do isn't helpful, like, for me. Because that just adds, like, one more thing on my to-do list is that I need to tell you what things I, like, want you to do or, like, need you to do, right? Right. And then you were like, oh, wow, I've never thought about it like that. And in my head, I'm like, wow, why didn't I, <laughs> why didn't I talk to you about this sooner? Yeah. <clears throat> so that's a good example from our life on how, like, a lot of arguments have spawned in the past. But now, hopefully, we can move by that. Um, sh uh, Charlotte has recently been married. So congratulations, uh, Charlotte, on Ooh. your, yeah, on your wedding. That's very exciting. Um, so I imagine the whole wedding experience is probably what stirred this question, mm -hmm. um, in-laws and how they're a bit too intrusive. Um, we don't necessarily have intrusive in-laws, um, although we have, uh, a structured relationship, I guess is how you could say it. <laughs> Um, the main thing is identify sort of the issues that you have with your in-laws. Yeah. It might not be the fact that they're intrusive, or maybe it is, and you've already identified it. Um, but then you have to set up, like, firm boundaries mm -hmm. with them. And then and you have to tell them what those are. Yeah, and Taylor can explain this better because she's the one that's had to do it with her own mother. Yeah, just, like, with boundaries... Um, if there's anything you're not comfortable with, you have to first address that for yourself. And then next time you talk to them, once they bring whatever that thing is up, you have to tell them like, Hey, I'm not comfortable talking about this subject like with you like, and tell that you don't, I mean, and give them a reason why, or don't give them a reason why you don't have to, but then just be like, if you continue to bring it up, like the conversation ends there. Um, at least for me. That's what I've done with my own um, parents. Is I'll be like, hey, like, I don't want to talk about this with you. I'm not going to talk about this with you. Um, and if they ever do, I say, you know what? Um, it was nice talking to you. Like, I told you I don't want to talk about this. And we can try again another time. And then I end the conversation. And that's what I just choose to do is end the conversation right then and there to sort of really send that point home. Otherwise, like, I think, I don't know, they think you're flexible or aren't as stern if you just move about to other topics and they can sort of weasel their way back in or 
get knowledge sort of going the back back door route yeah uh i think taylor's advice is the best advice from the two of us i struggled with apathy a lot when i was younger and now that i've dedicated a lot of my adulthood and personal time to understanding empathy and like understanding everyone else around me um i it sort of developed this switch in my head and I, i'm sure a psychologist could prove me wrong and say that that's not actually what's happening or give me a real breakdown of what i'm doing but it's really easy for me to compartmentalize my emotions um and when sort of the in-laws start to get on my nerves i can just sort of choose apathy and then not care about what they're saying yeah but that's come through years and years of development uh, and it's actually come from empathy like being under being able to understand them and when i understand where they're coming from and i realize that has nothing to do with me it's very easy to turn off and go like oh well that's a you problem it's not a me problem there's nothing that I can do to make you feel better about yourself. Right. So I'm just, I'm just going to let it slide, but not hold it against you. Um, it's nice, but Taylor's, um, Taylor's advice is a lot yeah. more constructive, yeah. a lot more. And applicable. it's hard. I mean, I don't like, I don't like doing it, but it's what's necessary. Yeah. And I think it's helped uh, my relationship with uh my parents hmm. a lot it's a little bit more uh not as deep as it once was but for this given moment in time that's for the best yeah so for these next couple questions uh we're gonna read from an app it's called ngl which i made the assumption last episode that it just stands for not gonna lie because that's what the acronym stands for in my texting dictionary. Um, but it's a app that you can use for like Instagram and Twitter, where you can post a link and then people can send you anonymous messages. So Taylor's got a few, I've got a bunch. Um, we'll just try and blow through them as quickly as possible, unless they require a little bit more attention. Well, this person first messaged me, don't leave me unopened, and then proceeded to ask me, have I ever been given a hickey? Which is such a strange question, but also who hasn't been given? Right. Who hasn't been given a hickey? Whether... Have you ever been given, or have you ever given a hickey? I've done well, both. Yeah. Uh -huh, is, have you ever given a hickey? Oh, oh. Ha oh, have you ever given a hickey? Yeah. Yeah, I've given you hickeys, not intentionally, but it has happened. No. And it's hard. I don't bruise easily, so it was really real passionate. passionate. <laughs> It hasn't happened in a, in a long while. It is not. It is not. So, yes, for anyone out there that was that curious, yes, I have given my husband a hickey. I do not recall giving anyone else a hickey. However, I guess if we've dated and I gave you a hickey, I guess let me know yeah. if you want to. Uh, I, I guess this is a forewarning to our parents and our siblings as well. If you listen to this podcast and you don't, if you want to, maintain a little bit of innocence in our relationship you might want to skip this uh episode or maybe just skip a question that you hear us talking about because there's going to be some things that we say that i don't know maybe you'll be embarrassed to be around us we won't be embarrassed but you might be 
I know that happens. Uh, especially my mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> Hi, mom. Anyways, I, I say that now because my next comment was going to say that hickeys aren't really necessary now that we're married. And there's other activities to buy our time, you know? <laughs> uh, anyways, I'll, I'll go, I guess. Somebody asked me, who was your first kiss? Uh, mine's a really quick story because it was like your classic 14-year-old story where uh, staying over at a friend's house and we played spin the bottle. Landed on a girl. Her name's Madison. I'm not going to use her last name. Right. I don't think that's fair to her. But um, And then I had like a little mini crush on her because I was like 14 years old and I kissed her. And then, uh, but that was it. Never actually panned <laughs> out into anything. Uh, <clears throat> but also, I like vaguely remember going over to this girl Shannon's house when I was in like third grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and possibly kissing in her basement. Like she had a really cool basement. She had like a, a foos or not a foosball table, a, like a pinball machine. Mm-hmm. And a pool table. And we were like running around playing in her basement. And we started like hiding places. And and I think we just got like curious. Huh. But I don't know if we actually kissed. Or like she kissed <laughs> me on the cheek. You know, it's uh-huh. like it gets fuzzy. Yeah, yeah. It's like we kissed each other. Or it was like a little like innocent like peck on the cheek to each other. And like, ooh. But yeah. Those are my stories. Mine sucks. <laughs> Um, I was at the, a roller skating rink with my best friend, Gabby, and I think I was in fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade, and there was this boy there, and I think I just kissed him, but oh, I don't, wow. I don't know his name. <laughs> um, I didn't even know him. Really, I knew he went to my school. Yeah, and he was a grade and a grade younger than me. So if I was in fifth grade, he was only in fourth grade. Wow! <laughs> I remember thinking he was cute. Okay. Yep, and I kissed him. I don't know his name. Hmm. I didn't know who he was. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess that just gives you an insight of how I was as a um a child going through puberty. The worst date you've ever been on. In my opinion or theirs? (laughs) Oh, like... Yeah, uh, because if it was the worst date I've ever been on, it probably would have been our first date, if in (laughs) your opinion. I mean, that wasn't my my worst date, though. Uh, Okay. Like, ever. I don't... I don't think I ever had a bad date because I was really shy at, like, pulling the trigger to, like, ask a girl out. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a lot of insecurities when I was, like, a teenager. Just, like, gaps in my teeth and long hair that didn't ever look right or good. Um, so I just ne- never had that confidence. I like always thought the girls were a lot prettier, like had a lot higher attractiveness level than I did. 
as a man. So I just always assumed people were out of my league. So the only girls I ever really asked out on dates were ones that I knew already liked me. So then our dates were like fine. But I guess like per out, like plans versus outcome, it was probably that cookie lantern date with you. Oh. <laughs> we tried to bake cookies and I dumped a whole like quarter cup of salt in the batter. Uh, and I was like, yeah, it's fine. It was not fine. No. And then we tried to light a Chinese lantern and let it go and let it like float away. And the wind caught it like 10 feet off the ground and just caught the whole thing on fire. Yeah. And I had to stomp it out on the sidewalk. Yeah. And now whenever uh, we make cookies, I don't let Josh pour any of the ingredients really. Yeah, over, over the, the bowl. bowl. Yeah. I well, also with baking, I am I don't really mess around when it comes to baking. Right. Right. Um the worst date I've ever been on was probably was I a senior in high school or a junior? I think I was a senior in high school. And I went on a date with a I don't know. I think he was the quarterback of the football oh, team. Oh, yeah. This one is bad. Yeah. Um, and he was also a senior. I'm not going to use his name. Um, but he asked me out. And we went out to the movies. And then I think, did we get food beforehand? We might have gotten food beforehand. I can't remember. I do remember the movie, though. And I think it was a scary movie. I'm not really sure. The entire date was just terrible anyways um so we were sitting next to, next to each other in the movie theater i think we were sitting all the way in the back and throughout the entire movie he kept trying to grab my butt even though i was like literally sitting down and he was just super handsy with me like the entire date um and i saw super uncomfortable um during the movie um and then after the movie we got into his car and we were still in the movie theater parking lot and um like we were talking and like it was fine and i didn't really like have like much of a like a backbone really like then um i was just sort of like going along with things until like i, I guess things got bad anyways until so he leaned in he kissed me and like i kissed him back stupid um and then like he kept kissing me and kept trying to move things um, further, like very far, very quickly. And I stopped him and I told him like, look, I don't, I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to do this. Like, please take me home. And he got super pissed at me. And he was like, I took you to this movie. Like I bought you dinner. Like, and he was based, I don't, I can't remember if he said that I owed him, um, like yeah, to go was... further or if he implied that, but it was very, very obvious that he thought that I should have given him what he wanted. Right. Um, and I told him no. So I think I ended up telling him that he could take me home or I would call someone to come pick me up and take me home. And so he drove me home. We never went out again. And then he spread rumors about me anyways. So... <laughs> love that for me yeah. that's rough please give me pickup lines that always work oh that always work yeah i actually always. have one i actually have one. now it's n so the the problem with pickup lines that don't work 
is that they always get sympathy laughs and you don't want a sympathy laugh uh-huh. uh because then they're like oh that was cute it, it's never like a lead unless that's the kind of girl you're looking for there's one that's just gonna laugh at you all the time regardless if you're funny or not more power to you i guess uh but so the one that would actually work for me and it's not a pickup line but when i wanted to start a conversation with a girl that i liked i would sit down and i would say <laughs> i would look at her and i'd say what makes you crazy and then they go wait what i go what makes you crazy and they go what do you mean it's like well there's always a little something in all of us that like either we're crazy about or makes us a little bit crazy. Mm -hmm. Like everybody's a little bit crazy. So like what, why are you crazy? Never once did a girl be like, turn me down or like say like not start a meaningful conversation. And then we end up talking about just like being a little bit more vulnerable because it like immediately opens right, right. opens people up and then you start talking about it. I would use that all the time because not only did it like it, it caught every single girl off guard, but then it like also started like a meaningful conversation that would lead into something where you could like get to know someone mm -hmm. rather than like, yeah, grabbing the back of a girl's collar and be like, oh, heaven, I knew you were made there. <laughs> Like stupid lines like that. Maybe. Yeah. No, Josh is definitely the go-to person for this because, yeah, he's, I mean, he's just smooth in general with stuff like that. And everything that he's ever told me worked. So take that's, that as proof. I, I think that's like my only one that's probably at like a 98% yeah. success rate. Yeah. And the crazy thing is like not a single girl got offended. Yeah. Not a single one. Because I think it's so true. Right, right. Oh, I Everyone crazy. is like, oh, I do. I, I do have something. Like, I like, I'm a little crazy. I, I think know what all... makes me crazy. Yeah? I, you know what makes me crazy. <laughs> I know what makes you crazy. Which we might get into. Yeah. He, him. Yeah. She, her. Anyways. I like my response better. Slightly east of northeast. That's... <laughs> there you have it. That's our orientation. Yeah. I guess it would be uh, slightly south of southwest. Southeast. Slightly south of southeast. Yeah. We'd put us sure. in Florida. Anyways, that's the last one. Yep. <clears throat> All right. Um, this one's good because I have, I have no idea who this came from, but he was rather descriptive on his question. So... You'll get two responses, um, and I think they're going to be very different because I'm going to give you a really practical response, and Taylor might give you a more insightful response. But this guy asks, so as a bigger guy, I find it hard to find someone who loves me for me. What are some things you would do to try to find the right woman? I sort of like think through while I talk, but... I think the right woman won't really care about like your size. Like I don't I think I think guys think that most women care a lot more about their like physical appearance or like their body more than like we actually do. Like as a girl, I know personally and from other girls from like my friends 
we care a lot more about the emotional connection and sort of just like how well like you vibe really just like being together um and like anything like on top of that like it's sort of a bonus like obviously like it's nice like i mean but like i can you can also be like super attracted to somebody like regardless of like who they are it doesn't really matter what their body looks like um i can comment more but you can go and then and piggyback okay. off you um like i said i, I have <clears throat> a very practical approach um it's hard to know why you're a bigger guy. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's lifestyle choices, genetics, um, sickness, sort of health issues that you might be dealing with. Um, one of my like desires for what I wanted in a woman uh, was someone who took care of their body and like maintain a good personal image mm -hmm. uh and since that's what i desired in a woman i made it a goal of mine to always stay like pretty physically fit um and active so that um i was giving off sort of the energy that i wanted to receive mm -hmm. back um however playing off of what taylor just said um i i think confidence is key it is so if if you're asking and i'm i'm assuming here so disregard my question or my response here if i made the wrong assumption but i'm assuming that because you asked us the question and you framed it from the perspective of as a bigger guy that that's an insecurity of yours mm -hmm. and I, again i might be projecting but uh, a big proponent to successful dating is confidence. So if your physical appearance is one of your biggest insecurities, and that's creating a little bit of doubt and the lack of self-confidence, it's definitely something that needs to be addressed. And this might be tough love, and maybe because it's anonymous, it'll come to you, but I'm really trying to, like, I'm really trying to meet you where you are. I, yeah. I don't want to put you down, mm -hmm. but like holding your like physical well-being as a top priority in your life will go far beyond your dating scene. That's true. It's true. Um, true. It'll help you with your sleep. It'll help you with your focus. It'll help you with your confidence. It'll help you with your um, your mood. Your mood becomes more regulated the healthier your body is. Um, and it might just come down to setting that as a top priority in your life. Yeah. Sacrificing something else that may be holding you back. Um, and I'm not talking about fad diets. Like we, we are, we are not fans of fad diets. We are not proponents of that. Um, it's just about intuitive eating, like knowing what your body needs, staying away from, um, an overindulgence in, uh, foods that are otherwise unhealthy for you um, so yeah. finding self-discipline stuff like that but then I think just because I want to answer your question like I don't want to go off on this tangent about physical fitness 
um, if if it's something that can't be fixed, right? So like you're dealing with these outside circumstances that you you just like can't overcome. Um, you have to keep like casting the reel, which yeah. is really hard. Yeah. But like you just have to keep talking to more women. Right. Like there is a woman out there that's right for you and that will accept you. Mm-hmm. For who you are, regardless of what phase of physical fitness you're in, mm-hmm. um, or what your <clears throat> physical appearance is, yeah. because she'll look beyond that. Yeah, um, but also like, so I've never really like required or like had it as like a top, like super top priority for any of the guys that I've dated to be super, <laughs> excuse me, super fit um, or anything. But I've always looked more to their like ambitions and like how hard they work and sort of the lifestyle that they live. Um, And that was always super attractive to to me if, like, they actually, like, did, like, a lot with their time or, like, they, like, played sports or, like, to, like, go outside and sort of, like, do things. Um, I never, never really, um, I never felt drawn to anybody that, like, was sort of, um, inactive in just her lifestyle or would just sort of sit around and like play video games or just like mosey on not really have like any major wants or desires so like if you're ambitious and um you live sort of a more active or semi-active lifestyle regardless of your size I think that will also go a very very long way because there's a there I think there's a big difference of being like a bigger guy and being inact being like sort of sedentary versus being a big guy who like still doesn't let that stop them and they still just like go out and live an active lifestyle like I'd much rather prefer that and I would be drawn to someone like that versus um, the latter yeah that's a really good point I I hope we haven't lost you so far because I I ranted too much about the physical fitness aspect and that you're still listening. But I think uh, Taylor makes a really good point. I've always found more success or I found because I don't, well, technically we're still dating. So I I think it still stands true. I've found more success in, in making connections with the opposite sex. And now with Taylor, um, when I'm expressing my passions, like when I when I'm sharing my passions with her and in the past when I was sharing my passions with with others, I, I think they they just find that attractive. Like when someone's mm-hmm. passionate about something, it doesn't even matter like what it is. Yeah. Um, and if if a girl like if you share a passion with a woman and then she ridicules you for it or sort of like makes you feel embarrassed for it, um she's pretty shallow so i don't i don't think that's the right woman anyways it sort of answers your question uh i hope that helps i i really hope that you feel that we're like we're trying to be genuine we're trying to share our experience with you we're not trying to put you down but like sometimes you just need to hear the truth Mm -hmm. and that's what some of that was and then some of it was um some heartfelt suggestions if i made the wrong assumption and again if i made the wrong assumption i apologize and hopefully those other um those other uh pieces of advice that we gave can help you um it's hard when the messages are anonymous 
Uh, next question is, uh, do you meditate? You know, I do not. And I have attempted to a couple of times, but I am not someone who enjoys listening to my own thoughts ever, <laughs> really, or for that long. So for me, meditation sort of sounds like my own personal hell. Yeah. So no, <laughs> I do not meditate. Um, to relax, I'd much rather listen to some music or listen to someone else talk. And then I'm calm. <laughs> yeah. But I cannot calm myself down. I think um, when I am alone with my thoughts, if anything, I just sort of wind myself back up and then I spiral and then Josh has to come in and fix me. Yeah. Uh, I do meditate. Uh, I have very different forms of meditation. Uh, one is uh religiously uh prayer is technically a form of meditation um so oftentimes i will i will pray um to my god and we reference him as heavenly father um but sometimes i'll just sit in that spirit of prayer and not necessarily say anything but just let my thoughts wander about things that are um, weighing on my mind, some tribulations I may be going through, or maybe some weaknesses that I'm trying to strengthen, or even some strengths and some talents that I'm trying to further uh, progress and enhance. That's one form. Another form comes when I'm in um, moments of extreme uh, displeasure, uh, which is... a uh, what I call the David Goggins form of meditation. If you don't know who David Goggins is, um, you should look him up. He's pretty cool. He's a ex Navy SEAL um, who talks about finding motivation um, when all motivation is lost, basically. So in extreme moments of displeasure, finding sort of what's deep within you to push through. So Lately, that's been um, on mile nine of an 11-mile bike ride when I want to hit like a new top speed or I'm trying to finish the 11-mile bike ride before a certain moment in time. Um, I go to like a very dark place where I try and push myself as hard as I can. I think that's a form of meditation because you sort of find a new personal level of understanding, sort of what you're capable of. Uh, and then my last mode of meditation is um, a creative meditation. So I just let my mind wander um, creatively. So I'll daydream a lot. I uh, daydream about things that we're going to do as a family. I daydream about um, sort of per personal accomplishments. I daydream about design, things that I'd like to build eventually. I, I just sort of let it wander and whatever. I come to, I'll write down a lot of notes. Um, and then personal meditation is just journaling. I think journaling is a form of meditation because it's self-reflective. forces you to think about your day um, and what happened, sort of how you did throughout the day. And it gives you a chance to recap and think about um, yourself and the things that you accomplished that day and maybe something that you'd like to do better tomorrow. Um, so I don't, I don't think you have to think about meditation as like sitting down and finding that quiet place, but just like a way to be self-reflective and, um, 
do away with outside distractions and settle your own anxieties um, in whatever way that that happens for you. Um, this person says, my fiance and I are getting married next month. Any advice? Wow. That's which so next month is like two weeks from now. Yeah. By the time you listen to this, you'll probably be married. Yeah. Honestly, try to enjoy, try to enjoy it. I feel like yeah. our actual like, wedding day went by so fast and I don't remember like hardly any of it. Yeah. Like, I couldn't tell you, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say this. No, just. I couldn't tell you who I talked to, what we, like, who was really, like, who was at our, like, Akron reception, who was at our Cincinnati reception, like, who didn't come. Like, I don't. I, not to cut you off, I think they're asking about advice as, like, being married, not for their wedding day. Oh, well, it was like good advice for their wedding. And maybe it it did help. I think they're enjoy your wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Be present. Yeah. Be be in the moment. Um, That that is actually some good advice, though, because like and eat food. By the time you're going to be so hungry, like by the time your wedding comes, like the actual day, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. You you can't do anything. And things will go wrong to like change the outcome. So just. Yeah, be in the moment. That'll be nice. But as for, as for marriage advice, it's like a contract. The that was the worst marriage advice we've ever gotten. Um, the take and this is gonna be funny as a piece of advice, but take every piece of marriage advice that you receive, like with a grain of salt. Yeah. Because people will always try and tell you the good the bad and the ugly but mainly focus on the bad and the ugly yeah, and yeah. play it off as humor right and we received terrible, terrible. marriage advice terrible from and sometimes completely just like like wouldn't even ask for it like yeah. like i remember when we went on one of our the times we went to savannah we were just walking celebrating our anniversary because that's what we were there for and i think some guy talked talk to you and he's like oh what are you guys in town for and then you're like oh we're celebrating our, our anniversary and then he went on to talk about how terrible <laughs> his marriage was or is and i was like cool i don't care like why right why are you telling us this so like yeah take every piece of marriage advice as a a grain of salt and every time like someone starts to give you advice my best advice is literally to in your head say this is advice from their experience and it might be bad Mm -hmm. like you just have the assumption like this might be bad advice even if someone like you really love and trust and you think that they're like coming from a good place, like just say like this is terrible advice. Like in your head, yeah, just yeah. label it as bad advice and file it away to remember like, oh, this is bad advice. Like this is not gonna help me at all. Um and then the next uh, like a what I think is a really good piece of advice is to try and find someone that's like five or six years ahead of you that you admire their relationship and like you know a lot about it and then just befriend them and just like talk about what they're going through Mm -hmm. i have a really good friend like that 
um, who lives in a separate state from me, but I talk to him often about just family matters and like I trust him and I trust his family dynamic, sort of who he has as a person and that friendship has been irreplaceable uh, hmm. in the first four years of our marriage. Anyways, um, I was going to say, I think a good piece of advice is to remember that you're in control of like your own emotions and like your own feelings. And like, what I mean by that is I'll hear a lot of people say that they're unhappy in their relationship because like, they'll say like, Oh, well, my partner like doesn't make me happy. And like, I'm going to say like, okay, it's not your partner's job to make you happy. Like it's up to you to decide whether you're happy or not. And like your partner like is there and obviously your partner can do things that makes you happy but like it's not their job or their responsibility to like make sure you have like a happy life all the time and if you do expect that then like you're not going to have a very good life or a very good marriage for expecting them to always make you feel like a certain way yeah like at the end of the day i know it's my responsibility to do the things that i need to do to make sure that i have a good day because like sometimes like life happens and like the day can like suck or like something like unfortunate might happen and um like I can't control that but I you just have to control the things that you can control and do the things that you know that makes you happy um yeah because you can't put that large expectation on your partner yep so that actually reminded me of a previous episode that we've recorded so it's like one of the very early episodes probably in like the teens or something, but it's called um, the silent killer of relationships, which is expectations. Uh, Go back and listen to that episode. Mm -hmm. It's a lot about an article written by people that are much smarter than us. We share their opinions. Mm -hmm. Um, Expectations will kill your relationship faster than anything else. It's true. And that's Um, probably, I would think that's probably one of the reasons why like our marriage is, so I don't think we have a lot, if any, really unspoken expectation. Like if I need we, you. We have a lot, but they're not serious. Yeah. They're yeah. not serious. All the serious ones, though, that matter, yeah. though. Like if I need you to do something or I want you to do something, I tell you. Right. I'm not like, oh, he's going to do this. Like just right. because, you know. And if I don't tell him that I need something to be done, I just assume that he's not going to do it. That way I don't get angry that it's not done. Yeah. So then uh, another piece of advice that she reminded me of was that uh people will tell you that marriage is 50 50 that you're like partners and um it should not be that way no like you should be marrying this person because you love them more than anyone else in the world and that means you will do anything for them without expectation of repercussions like either positive or negative so like it's not 50 50 it's a hundred, a hundred. Like you, whatever are giving... your one hundred percent of that day is. Yeah, you because are giving. Obviously, not every day is going to be your best. Yeah, doesn't matter. You're giving a hundred percent of yourself to that other person when you marry them. You're not trying to say like, oh, we're going to work together, we're going to achieve all these goals together. It's no, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice everything that I have for you, mm-hmm. and to like build you up, and then they need like your partner needs to have the same mindset. Like I am willing to sacrifice hundred percent of myself to help build you. And then like, if that makes you happy, then you know that like you're making the right decision. 
to marry this person. And then that also eliminates any expectation that like, no, 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 I did this for you. So like you should be able to do right. this for me. Right, right. Um, because it's, it, that's not what it's supposed to be. No. It's, it's supposed to be symbiotic. You're supposed to be yeah. just striving together, working a hundred percent for one another, um, without any expectations to gain something in return. That's the best advice that I have. Your last song on your Spotify. The last song I listened to? Yeah. Yeah, this one's funny. This could be interesting. Yeah, so I listen to a lot of podcasts, but they did say songs. So can't, isn't there a history? Like if you Is go to your library, history? can you look at what I listened to? Most recent, it says my liked songs, but I know that's wrong. Because my most recent was... Uh, I really wish that they just had a history. Well, I know this says it. This says my last played, but that's because it's now my alarm. So I don't say that. I don't. I don't think that counts. My last listened to song or playlist on Spotify was Two Friends Big Booty Mix Volume Twenty One. Yeah. <laughs> from yesterday's afternoon run. Yeah, afternoon run. Ten out Clear of ten. Cash, would remove recommend. all downloads. Yeah, because I was listening uh, to the playlist on repeat. Um, so it was probably Feeling Good by Matthew Santos, Slander and Nightmare. Uh, or How Does It Feel by Sam Henshaw, which is a really good one. that's probably a, a a good one uh anyways yeah that was my it's my on repeat playlist that spotify makes for you so it's a lot of good good songs on there oh there it is what the heck recently played it was just on the home page Are You Entertained by Russ was the last song that I actually listened oh, to. Great song. Featuring Ed Sheeran. But, yeah, there it is. A lot of podcasts. Uh, now, next question. How tall are you? I'm six foot three. Taylor's five foot four. Did you watch Game of Thrones? No. No. Neither of us. And Not even we have a single no episode. Yeah. Not our cup of tea. Uh how did you afford to build a new home? Um I went back to work. Yeah. So Taylor found a, a really um good job, and this is uh, probably like a good strategy for anyone else who's trying to uh buy a new home. Um, building a new home in this market is actually more affordable than buying a used home mm -hmm. because when you buy someone else's home, you inherit all of their problems, whereas new homes are comparatively the same price, but you get a home that's done and finished and you don't have to worry about replacing a roof or an air conditioner breaking or anything like that. Um, so what we did was Taylor got a really well compensated job but instead of raising our lifestyle like the level of the lifestyle that we were living we continued to only live off of my paycheck 
as we were doing before, and all the money that we made from Taylor's paycheck, um, besides a little bit of fun money, went into a savings account to um, pay for our home. Yep. Uh, the other thing is, people tell you that you should save 20% to as a down payment for your house, which is like the smartest thing to do, but it's not mandatory right. which like you would we think were surprised it, yeah we were surprised by so you only have to put down three percent yeah which is not a lot of money to save up in the grand scheme of things so we saved for about two and a half years um our house is worth roughly 300 well we bought it for three hundred twenty six thousand dollars. it's a four bedroom three or two bath in florida jacksonville so put that into context um, and roughly the cash to close, which includes your down payment and all of the fees that you pay for buying the house was around $24,000. So that's how we afforded it. Taylor made that much money working. Um, and we cashed out a little bit of my 401k because it was an IRA. And if you have an IRA and you're a first time home buyer, you can, make a withdrawal of up to $10,000 to pay for your first home. So that's a, another caveat to how we afforded it. And if you want like specific numbers and stuff, you can reach out to me in my DMs and I'm glad to share all of that. It doesn't bother me to share how much money I make or how we can afford things because I think it helps uh, everyone yeah. in the long run. And like, I, I'm not embarrassed by how much money I make or yeah. Uh, feel free to reach out in my DMs. Um, I know that you can use my DMs because you sent me this message on my Instagram story. Uh, this one's, again, about our house. What level of cleanliness and tidiness do you guys prefer in your home? And then a second part of the question, how do you manage both working full-time and having kids? So the level of cleanliness is easy. We both like a really tidy home. Now, the difference is Taylor likes to make sure it's clean the moment she walks into a room. I will do all the cleaning right before I go to bed yeah. so that when I wake up, the space is clean. Um, I have a place for everything. I like to put it back where it goes. I like to organize things. <clears throat> Taylor just doesn't like to see it. So I you'll mean, swap drawers all the time. She swaps cabinets all the time if she feels like like things no. can go different places. You will reorganize the kitchen. Wait, I, two haven't and a half re times. I haven't reorganized the kitchen since we've lived here. Yeah, it's only been eight weeks. So that's eight weeks where I haven't done I it. I guarantee you, you will I did swap. it a lot in the apartment because we didn't have any room. Yeah, yeah. I so guarantee things are out of hand you, so fast. I guarantee you. You will swap at least two of our cabinets in the know. first year. I don't know that we live in this house. Hmm. You want to know why I know that? Why? Because the rice cooker was on the left side of the oven when we moved in. Oh, I didn't know where it was. And now you're putting it the, on the left no, side no. of the. Well, that's because I never used a rice cooker because I hate <laughs> to clean the rice cooker. So when I was putting it away after it was cleaned the other day, I was like, I have no idea where this goes. I know there's, I know there's I'll not keep much you guys down updated. here. And so I put I'll it down keep there. You guys updated. Anyways, I do. I like a very clean space, and unfortunately, I cannot relax if I have a to-do list in my mind. So I have to get through my entire to-do list, 
Which is a very toxic way of living. Yes, it is. Until I can sit down and yeah. enjoy around me, which is, yeah, very unfortunate. How do you manage both working full-time and having kids? We follow a schedule every day. I think that's really the only way we can manage it. I think that's the best way that we manage our time with it. Yep. The... um. Mm -hmm. So full time for us is 40 hours. I think that's an important message or a, an important note to make because some people's full time is like 60 hours. Um, and that would be a whole different experience. But for us, and more specifically for me, the way that I manage it is that I leave my hat at the door is how I'll describe it. So when I show up to work, I put on my work hat and I'm working. Taylor will try and send me messages throughout the day, like talking about family stuff. And I am very short. Yeah, I don't respond yeah. very thoughtfully. Mm -hmm. I just say like, yep. Okay. Yes. All right. Sounds good. All right. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> Sounds good send me whatever you're thinking like we'll cover it on the ride home um and then when i leave work i leave my hat at the door like my work hat is at work and then i am transitioning so luckily i'm i've been riding my bicycle to and from work which takes me about 45 to 50 minutes um, and that allows me to transition from work to home. Before, when I was driving from work to home, and I would get home, uh, and Taylor would like have August, and like she would want to pass him off immediately when I walked in the door. Uh, sometimes I would actually just take 10 minutes to myself and just sit in the car so that I had that transition period, that transition time to um, turn back into a dad um, and then if anything bad happened at work or bad happened like outside of the home the moment I got to the front door and this is advice from Brene Brown I would just take a deep breath and I would fake a smile even if the even if the smile was fake I would fake I would put on a smile and then I'd push through the door so that the first thing that Taylor saw and that August saw when I got home was me smiling. Because it's much more important than anything you find particularly serious at work. Yeah. Um, and that just allows you to be present. So it'll allow me to put on my dad hat and then be home. And in those few hours between me getting home, cooking dinner, and then putting August to bed... Like I could be the best dad that I could be. And then once August goes to bed, I take off the dad hat. I stop thinking about the kids. And then it's just Taylor and I. Um, so just making sure that like I separate those things is how I manage them the best. So that when I'm a dad, I'm 100% a dad. Fully committed to being dad. When I'm at work, I'm fully committed to being at work. And then when I'm with Taylor, I'm fully committed to being her partner. And taking advantage of the time that we have together. Uh, 
I might dice these up and swap them around because this is a this is a good one and this is gonna take a, a little bit here. But we're already at the hour mark, so but I th I think this is very good to talk about. And I didn't mean to leave this one for last. It just happened to fall there from the order I picked. Uh, lots of questions. There's like four. How are things right now post-baby with your sex life? What's non-negotiable when it comes to sex stuff? What's absolutely ruled out? What would you each eventually want to try or try once? How have things changed post-kids? is a, a personal question it is a very personal question so i guess we will save it for last so we'll just say like hey family close friends thanks for listening yeah thanks for listening if you don't want to listen to the rest feel free to move on or if you're struggling with things i guess you can listen to how I guess we're curious. dealing with it <laughs> yeah how are things right now post baby with your sex life right now at this moment they're good are they good they are okay um when you asked this question three weeks ago it was not good it was not good um we had a very like heart-to-heart -heart discussion um a sunday afternoon about like what our sexual needs were um some expectations that i had with our sex life that weren't being met um but i had not expressed so that was creating a a fissure that's a very big word but a, um, how do you even say that word simply? A break? Yeah, I was going to say a divide. A divide. There you go. Thank you. I was just going to see how you were going to explain yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you understood. I did. Just, I did. Okay. Fissure. Anyways, a divide um, in our sex life. Uh, and that was uh an hour yeah we only talked a Talk. lot we talked a lot just about how i felt and sort of why i thought i felt that way yeah and like we talked a lot about how like it's sort of unfortunate like with just how we are like biologically like after a girl has a, has a baby like you your body is 100 percent focused on keeping that current baby that you just had alive and literally everything else is not a priority. Like, your only priority is the baby. You literally have no interest in sex whatsoever. And your body is trying to do everything in its power for you not to want sex, really. Um, because, like, your body just had a baby. And your body's not trying to do that again. So for the first, like, um, when did I finally snap out of it? Probably two and a half months. I would say, like, after yeah. having Charlie, like, anytime Josh even, like, touched me, I my entire body would, like, tense up. Two months. I'd say, like, eight okay, weeks. Two months. Yeah. Because yeah. we're almost at three, or yeah. we just hit three months. Yeah, but, but my entire body would, like, tense up, good. and I'd get super, like, uncomfortable and almost, like, irritated because he was touching me. And then, like, almost, like, um, what's the word? Like, re revolt, like, um... Yeah, revolt. It's <laughs> a very aggressive way to put it. I don't it, know. But... I just like yeah. repulse. I'd... Yeah, repulsive, repulsed. Basically, like he'd touch me, and I'd like get super tense. <clears throat> I couldn't relax. I didn't want to be touched at all, and I'd sort of like 
flinch or like gasp. I think I'd like audibly like gasp a lot of the times when you touch me. And like, yeah. it wouldn't even be like sometimes in like a sexual way. You were just like touching me and I would like, right. Like, oh, don't touch me. Like, yeah. I don't want to be touched. Yeah. Overstimulation. Yeah. Sort of the easiest way to put it. But yeah. I, I think the mistake that like, oh, I'm just going to make a gross assumption here about men is that like the thing that they always tell us is like six weeks. Like it takes six weeks for the body to heal before like the woman's cleared for like sexual intercourse again so like in the man's head we're like oh six weeks everything's gonna be good to go you know like doc says it's okay let's get this done and and in real all reality yeah the physical nature of things might be sort of back to normal like back to normal enough to have sex right without complications yeah without complications but like the the hormones are not there. No. Like no. hormones are still getting balanced out, if not prioritized to completely different other um, aspects of motherhood like Taylor put out. Yeah. Um, and the thing that's helped the most with that is just talking about it. Like you have to talk right. about your sex life yeah. and not do it in weird corny terms where you're like, I just really think we should do it more often. Don't say do it. Like you right. just say like, I want to have sex more often. Someone's pulling into our driveway. Oh, no, they're backing up. All right. Like, like I want to have sex more often. I think we need to have sex more often. Or, like, sometimes if, like, one of us is in a bad mood, it's like, hey, like, we need to figure out how to snap you out of this because, like, I want to have sex. <laughs> and this comes from both of us. It's not just a, yeah, a, a yeah. guy thing. Like, sometimes Taylor's like, hey, what's going on? Like, I want to have sex with you, but, like, you're not in a good mood. And, like, I don't want to force this on you. So, like, let's figure out how to get you in a good mood so then we can have sex. Right. Talk about it. Yeah. Um, what's non-negotiable when it comes to sex stuff? I have one that you don't know about. Oh. But it's been in my head our entire relationship. And it's and never it'll, come up? <clears throat> it'll be It'll click in your head when I say it because you'll think back. And I've always stuck to this non-negotiable. What the heck? Are you ready? Yeah. I cannot orgasm twice in a row without you orgasming. So, like, sometimes it'll only be me who finishes. But then the very next time that, like, we get into any um, sort of sexual oh, I understand. Um, activity, I understand. Yeah. like, I, you have to orgasm before I, like, let myself uh -huh. get to that point. Huh. Yeah, that is that's true. And it's been nearly five years, and yeah. I like because a really scary t statistic that I learned before we were married is that it's something crazy. Like only thirty or forty percent of women in like married relationships mm -hmm. like orgasm during sex, like during any sort of sexual intercourse. Mm -hmm. So I was like, uh, no, that's not gonna happen. And like that's the non-negotiable for me non-negotiable yeah i don't know like i don't want to be forced in anything but also i don't think would say i've never been forced into anything right i always just like i think it i think I we th might have talked about this before but like most often even if i'm not in the mood i sort of will give myself like a a two minute roll basically 
is where like if you're like trying to get things started and after like two minutes I'm still not into it then like I'll stop you but like probably like 95 percent of the time like I don't even reach that point because I'm already like willing to keep going yeah uh just don't be dumb like like try and read what your partner wants yeah you know like if they're not reciprocating the action that you're giving out they probably not in the mood and there's something else on their mind but like you love this person so like they should want to have sex with you so if they don't want to then there's <laughs> yeah, something there's else something that wrong. needs to be addressed it's a it's a good mm -hmm. uh litmus test um what's absolutely ruled out uh we'll let you know when we get there i think that's the easiest thing to put there's nothing so far um uh like degradation i guess is what like degrading one another oh no yeah well we don't know yeah we would never do that that's ruled out that's to answer your question but if you're talking about activity wise we'll let you know when we get there um what would you each eventually want to try or try once we talked about this the other day and there's some stuff that we can share i think it depends on how open you are to sharing it um i don't know oh <laughs> uh i said on the like having sex on the hood of the car yeah you did say that I don't know where, but like, that was something I said. Uh, so try, yeah, that's something that we'd want to try. And you said in a public place, which is also <laughs> like, like you have to sort of be responsible, right? right? Right, right. Like we're not talking about like any sort of exhibitionism, right? Uh, but like just to like sneak in a quickie somewhere. Yeah, I feel like it's normal probably yeah as long as like there's still a lot of romance in the relationship yeah um and that you're both sort of like adventurous like that um and then how have things changed post kids uh we talked a lot about that sort of how it was in the initial six to eight weeks um i mean it's definitely not as easy as it once was um when we do have more time we're more intentional with the time that we do have yeah versus like like before you have kids like you have time whenever you're not like working like you have like all the time to do what you want really yeah and like a lot of time gets wasted and like sort of lost but when you have kids once your kids aren't around like that's not a lot of time so you gotta sort of pick and choose what it is you want to do and like yeah. you're intentional with that time yeah, so, like, we don't necessarily schedule time to have sex. No. I mean, I want to um, be opposed to it, but you said you don't like it, so. Yeah, it's just weird. It's, it seems like an appointment to me. I don't know. Uh, so, like, obviously, the spontaneity isn't as... There's not as much time to be spontaneous when you can and cannot have sex. But, like, this morning we had sex at 3.30 in the morning, so... Like, because she woke up, and I woke up, and obviously the kids were sleeping, so. But it wasn't even bad. Like, it wasn't like a sleepy sex, so. Uh, 
yeah, that happened. Um, date nights are essential. Um, and then right now, so what really helped, oops, when we only had one kid was that we sleep trained August. So then every day he was sleeping from 10 to 1130 and then like 2.30 to 4.30 or something like that. Yeah. Well, really just at nighttime, seven to seven, we knew that he was going to go to bed at seven and then we wouldn't really. That's true. That he wasn't going to get up. Seven. So, uh, morning sex was easy as long as we got up before like six thirty, and then uh, any day after seven. So right now with Charlie, she's too young to be sleep trained, so she's hit or miss on when she'll go down for the night. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, when she like turns four or five months years old, four or five months old, we'll start doing the same thing. And we'll get her on the same schedule as August. She'll be on a like a two nap per day schedule. August will just be on the one nap per day. And um, then you can do a, whatever you want during those moments when the kids are away. The parents come out to play. <laughs> uh, I hope that helps. I, I think it does. I mean, we answered the questions as comfortably as we'd like. Um, if you want to send me a DM and ask any more specific questions like that, or you don't think I answered your question uh, adequately enough, then uh, feel free to reach out and I'll answer a little bit more personally, I guess, if I trust you enough. Uh, and... Uh, that's it um if you didn't have a chance to send us a question uh, you can send us a dm on instagram we'll post this link again probably three months from now see if anybody's got some other questions go back to your normal content this episode is going to be really long thank you we appreciate it and we'll keep doing this because we like to do it and if you guys want to keep listening you can and if not we're always here for when you want to come back. Um, Till next time. Till next time. Bye.